Welcome to Uncommon Knowledge. I'm Peter Robinson. Lawrence Fox grew up in a theatrical family. His great-grandfather was a playwright. His grandfather was an agent. One uncle is the film producer Robert Fox. Another uncle is the actor Edward Fox, the assassin in Day of the Jackal. His father is the actor James Fox, Lord Darlington in Remains of the Day. And if I counted correctly, half a dozen siblings and cousins are also actors. Lawrence Fox himself attended Harrow and the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Probably best known in the United States for playing Sergeant Hathaway on the television drama Lewis, Lawrence Fox has enjoyed a varied career from a role in the Robert Altman classic movie Gosford Park to a role on a stage production of the Shaw classic, Mrs. Warner's Profession. And now, for reasons that he will attempt to persuade us are entirely reasonable, Lawrence Fox has given up acting for politics. He has founded a new party, the Reclaim Party, and announced that he is a candidate for mayor of London in the election that will take place on May 6th. Lawrence, welcome. We'll come in a moment to your um, to the story of last year, but first the immediate present. You just ran a full-page ad in British newspapers, Winston Churchill muzzled. The caption, your London, your freedom, reclaim it. An American audience needs an explanation. Churchill muzzled? Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Um, thank you for having me on. Yes, he has been muzzled. History can't speak back to the, those that wish to rewrite it or to remove the parts that are unpleasant for them. And um, I thought there's something very powerful about the idea of people putting up edifices to heroes and then people forgetting the heroic acts that they undertook and instead trying to rewrite it. So I thought, you know, we are living in a, in a period of extreme censorship and um, extreme political correctness as well. And I thought, and we're also living in an era of mask mandates as well. So I thought this covers several aspects of the entire freedom of speech debate, which is one of the reasons why we're in the situation we're in lockdown-wise in London, and also one of the reasons we're in how we are culturally in terms of, of revising our history in a way that's more palatable to others. All right. The culture as it, as it interfered in your life, the story of the past year, January 2020, you appear on a television program called Question Time, very well known in Britain, but a celebrity talk show, I should say, sort of a highbrow celebrity talk show, word of explanation for the American audience. And um, by the time that program ended, your life had been turned upside down. What happened? Yes. So I was invited on. I was promoting some music at the time. I'd written a sort of an anti-censorship song called The Distance, and I was promoting it up and down the country. And someone asked me if I'd like to go on Question Time. And I said, yeah, because, you know, as a family, we used to watch it and shout at the television, as a lot of families in the UK do. And I thought it'd be great. And I'll go on and I'll say what no one else ever says on this program, because I know it. I've watched it with several people. And I went on and I did say what. Um, was going through my mind and seemingly through quite a lot of people's minds and a woman said to me that I wasn't really entitled to an opinion one of the audience members who actually later turned out to be a BBC plant was planted by the channel um, to tell me that I wasn't really allowed an opinion because I was white privileged and I said that's racist should we not be racist to each other that's not a cool way of being in 2021 
we've had the um, civil rights movement and the, these are the low hanging fruit have been done. So I, um, I said, you know, we're a very tolerant country, which we are. Um, you know, all the stats say it. Ahead of, I think we're just behind New Zealand and Canada in terms of uh, welcoming and tolerance and interracial marriage and all this stuff. So I just pointed out this fact to her and then it exploded. And the Actors Union, uh, who I've never been a member of because I don't trust them as far as I could throw them, equity, um, said um, it needs to be denounced. So they then went on a period of burn the witch for me, which was fun. And uh, so I then said, I'm going to take you to court. And they had to swiftly retract their statement. And But by that point, I think the damage was done. You know, showbiz is a very... It's a very temporary area. I mean, weirdly, it's not, but it, it, it's people are frightened of their of their incomes. So, mm. you know, and and that's you are working from project to project. You're working, and you're constantly unemployed, and you've got to have the right views. And mm. I, my views were just clashing with with showbiz, and indeed all the institutions now that are are meant to be propping up our culture, but are actually dragging them down. So yeah, I was, I got, they call cancelled, but I think cancelled is the wrong word. I think it's excommunicated from the church of woke, which is, um, which is a much more serious punishment than cancelled because cancelled sounds fun, right? You got cancelled, but no, it's an excommunication from a burgeoning religion. And um, yeah, but I mean, they, they kind of give me wings. All right. So your agent dropped you. They staged a campaign against you. Twitter went wild, all of that. But then you could have fought back for a day or two and retired to the countryside for a year and waited for it to blow over. Not only did you dig in rhetorically attacking right back on Twitter, you founded a political party. How do you go from a bumpy evening on question time to founding a political party. Well, it's interesting, actually, and I can blame you Americans for a lot of this because I keep my eye on America much more than I do in England often because I'm trying to see what's going to come our way. And I remember Victor Davis Hanson being very good on this, but also um, Ben Shapiro being very good. And he said, do not apologize ever. To, to those because you're still going to get your head chopped off of the guillotine and it's still going to be the terror so do not apologize stand up for yourself as much as you can and um i sat there for possibly a period of months feeling like very distraught because my it's my source of income you know and also i love acting and i love mm. art i think art is incredible not so much at the moment because it's not art at the moment but that's a different story and um i just thought right, I have to do something about this problem. And I wanted to start a movement. Essentially, it is a movement in a lot of ways because it's based around an idea. It's not based around me, even though they try and make it about me. Um, and I was approached by Jeremy Hosking, who is a, he, I call him a rebalancer. He wants to rebalance things. He, he's saying if, if conversation is going too far in one direction, he would like to rebalance it in the other direction. He said, well, start a political party. So I ummed and ahed about it. And then I thought, okay. fine. And Sorry, so now, for, for purposes of this conversation, the yeah. Jeremy Hosking is a fascinating man in all kinds of ways. But for the purposes of this conversation, yeah. here's what matters. He's fabulously rich. He was able to fabulously underwrite. Fabulously rich. All right, fine. Carry on. He's Just worked. wanted to get that uh, fact in. 
Yeah, he's worth hundreds of millions of pounds. Uh, he's a great guy. And I and he said, start political party. We argued about it, whether I should be a movement or a party. And in the end, we, we agreed that it would be a party. And actually, now I'm very grateful that we did agree it was a party. Because if you look at the way the government are heading off in one direction at the moment, it's great that we will have at least some of the teeth. Nick Tyrone in The Spectator, quote, here's the thing. If Lawrence Fox is serious about politics... He should become a Tory. Why didn't you? Become a member of the party that gets voted for most often party. No, thank you. Um, the, the thing about the Tories is that they will say, they'll talk a good game always, but they just want to remain in power. And the thing about me is I don't want to be in power. I want the idea to be in power. And the idea is freedom of expression and the broadest possible debate. It's not really about me. So I, I did speak to Tories. Let me st stay with Nick Tyrone for a moment. I, this is, again, his piece in The Spectator of, I guess, a fortnight ago. You're running for mayor of London. London, of all places. Nick Tyrone, quote, The actor's brand of anti-wokeness will play nowhere in the entire country worse than in its capital city, close quote. Lawrence? That's why. That's the only reason, right? You, if, if you're if you're going to hammer the things on the on the cathedral door, you've got to ham, hammer them on the cathedral door. You know, this is um, th this is the moment. It's it, London is is the is the cathedral of wokery. It's the cathedral of identity based you know moral supremacy and i think i don't care you know also when i spoke to the other people that were thinking of standing for mayor of which there are several i was like i'm going to do it anyway whether you do it or not because it doesn't matter if i lose the only thing that matters is if i stand that's the most important thing all right lawrence fox announcing his candidacy for mayor of london and importantly i want to reclaim your freedom to speak to be yourself to be part of the national conversation to cherish your history rather than rewrite it and to teach our children to be confident not ashamed of who they are and where they come from i want to reclaim your freedom to speak i think that i'm speaking for americans a large american audience i think wait 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 a minute wait a minute britain of all places is the uh, to the extent that we have a grasp on british history it's it's where the rights of the individual as against the state first emerge and first take legal form from Magna Carta on, how can it be that this man, this actor, is running for mayor of London on freedom of speech? This is, there's a lot, it'll blow over. This is so deeply rooted in British society, it'll, it'll all right itself. Explain. I think, oh, I, th I think it's very difficult because if you're, if you're approaching something from a false consensus like everyone believes a certain thing which they don't in the uk lots of people think different things but in um london specifically we our institutions are now rising up against us we have their you know you have things like the national trust saying that they will remove statues and unpleasant statues you've got sadiq khan saying um he's done a, a commission of diversity in the public realm at the cost of 100 million pounds to remove statues and rename street names so today i was speaking to someone and there's a road in tottenham in north london called black boys lane and black boys lane was not named after black boys it was named after the 
son of um, George I, I think. And it was because he was very dark. So we're having our history totally rewritten and our culture totally re revised. Our language is being disabused by people that wish to serve a different narrative. So London is no longer the cradle of freedom of speech and the UK is no longer the cradle of freedom of speech openly. But what we've had is you have the, I'm not very good at describing this, but if you've got the discussion like this and you've got one end of the discussion within any population, you've got 25% of people that are quite authoritarian. And on the other side, you've got 25% of people that are quite libertarian. But what we've done is we've gone sliced straight down the middle and we've removed the libertarian side of the argument, the freedom loving, conversational based, constant continual conversation of culture, which is wonderful. And we've just stopped it. So this 25% of authoritarian people that want to shut down debate, shut down any form, they're, they're biological denialists, they're misogynists as well, these people, um, is just, they're now very loud. So I'm saying we do need to reclaim that half of the conversation again. It's not about me. It's about saying, you, in order to make a conversation balanced and sort of 52-48 like Brexit, so there's a big argument on both sides, that's a good thing. What you don't want is a 95-5 conversation, which is what we're ending up with here. I don't know if that what, makes sense, but that's how I feel. It, it, it makes striking sense. Once again, Lawrence Fox announcing for Mayor of London. Well, I want to reclaim your freedom. I want to reclaim your freedom to work when you want to work, where you want to work and how you want to work and remove all the obstacles that stand between you and rebuilding after these lockdowns. And I want to reclaim your freedom to move, to be with whoever you want to be with and when you want to be with them, your fundamental human need to be together in sickness and in health and to never take that freedom away again. Nobody should say their last goodbyes to anybody on an iPad ever again. Freedom of speech is one thing, but there you're campaigning against the lockdown. What's the connection? The connection is the debate. So the broadest possible debate would have led to possibly, in my view, sorry, um, you know, again, because it is always your view, um, it, it is this idea that if there had been a more balanced debate about around this, then lockdown may not have been considered as an option you know the guy who's who's and also i, I think we're, we're entering a period of reflection now where we can go with comparative analysis lockdown has that the, i'm waiting for someone to give me any evidence that lockdown is a good idea so what happened was we we stifled the debate very quickly and we politicized it very heavily to to make goodies and baddies and this is not how you have a a, a solid political debate with people or within a family so i think lockdown is actually you know an exemplar of how bad um decisions are made when debate is stifled um but i, I watched that video i haven't seen that video for a while and i thought yep stand by that and i t tend to watch what i say and i go yeah i stand by that because it's true all right it's melanie phillips true. melanie phillips in the london times Melanie Phillips, but is is broadly speaking libertarian. She's she's on your she's side, great. broadly speaking. But quote Fox's defense of the freedom to express ideas is welcome and understandable. However, quite a lot hangs on this. However, however, he equates the culture of coerced conformity with the COVID lockdown restrictions. But these restrictions were necessary given the threat from a virus that is so infectious and deadly. Freedom of speech, of course, but we had to lock down the country because of this stinking virus. And by the way, 
I can't recall the latest statistic, but something like 40% of adults over the age of 50 have already been vaccinated. Just bide your time, Lawrence. Just drop out of this campaign if necessary and come to California. Then go home in three months and it'll all be over. Tying the freedom of speech to the lockdown is a political, it's a mistake. It's just a mistake. I can totally see that. I think it's I think it's a very um it's a very bold move. But again, all I'm saying is my view on the lockdown. What lockdowns have revealed and what pe- people's response to the virus itself has it has revealed very personal biases. So Melanie Phillips, who if you've watched her in the past, she will defend anybody to the end of the world. But you can see within what she wrote a, a sense of personal personal dread about the power of the virus so i'm saying let's just take a couple of steps away and go what are we actually dealing with here guys and what 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 are if we're weighing up what impingements we're going to put on our personal liberty versus the lethality of a virus then it's a no-brainer for me but that's just my opinion all i'm really saying is shall we have the conversation so and it is interesting that what happens with me is that people will write in instant comment pieces on me and then later on they will reflect and go oh actually at a point and that's what seems to happen because i'm kind of looking at it more i'm not looking at it short term i'm looking long term here's a point which i really find mad about this that if you can lock an entire society down for one year you convince the population And there's no major repercussions. You convince the population that society is an anathema. It's not real. It doesn't exist. You go, we can shut it down. So what you're doing is you're you're destabilizing democracy. You're destabilizing civilization by doing that. And I find that something that I have to stand up against. It's not something, it's not a position I want to. I'm not anti-lockdown because it's fashionable. I'm anti-lockdown because there's zero science behind it. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm anti-lockdown. All right, the race itself a word about the the position. Mayor of London, chief executive of the Greater London Authority, a position created in 2000. And um, this is worth noting that in all of the United Kingdom, the mayor of London is at least in one way the leading figure. By contrast with members of parliament who re- represent relatively small constituencies, Boris Johnson, prime minister, he wins his seat in parliament with 25,000 votes. To become mayor of London, you have to win well over a million. Boris Johnson, 2019, wins 25,000 votes on his prime minister. Sadiq Khan, the current mayor of London, wins in 2016 by capturing a million and a quarter votes. So to the extent that votes confer standing, the mayor of London has more standing in the United Kingdom than any other figure. Just to say that you're running for a very big job. Sadiq Khan, mayor since 2016, raised in a working family of Pakistani origin, former Labour Party member of parliament, from a story on the website of On London, and I grant that this story dates from January, just before you announced, but still, quote, Sadiq Khan takes 21-point poll lead and is on course for record-breaking win, subhead, unless the incumbent mayor's numbers collapse, he will win City Hall by the biggest margin ever, close quote. Lawrence, what's wrong with Sadiq Khan? Sadiq Khan is a man who would like to build a city in his own ideological image. So he he sees London 
as a vehicle with which to represent his religion. And uh, it's not the relig- his, his Muslim religion. Now, I don't think that's got anything to do with it, worryingly. It would be better if it did, oddly. But he, um, it's, the, it's, this, it's this religion of wearing your conscience outside of yourself, which is so different to what is, which is very British thing. So he's, you know, on, the, on New Year's Eve, instead of he's throwing fireworks up to, with Black Lives Matter fists and European flags. And most people are sat there going, didn't we just leave the European Union? should we not be looking where we're going to go moving forward? And then in terms of the Black Lives Matter fist, it's like, don't, stop reminding us. We all, everyone really cares about black lives. Stop virtue signaling, wearing your conscience on the outside of your personality to, to rub into us why, why, we, why we're so much less worthy to lead this city than us. He, the, his problem actually is that he would never speak to someone like me. And that is his mistake, because he should see it and I should be able to ask him, I should be able to say to him quite openly, how do you feel about the statue of Queen Victoria opposite Buckingham Palace that the Queen wakes up and looks out of her bedroom window to? Two, two quotations. Here's from, this is from a Labour Party website. Sadiq, how is that pronounced? Sadiq, which, where's the stress? In- Sad, S- Sadiq Khan. Sadiq, Sadiq Khan. Yeah. Sadiq, Khan. Sadiq is leading the fight against racism by setting up a new commission for diversity in the public realm to help ensure the capital's population and history are celebrated and commemorated, close quote. You, you've already mentioned it. Here's a tweet by Lawrence Fox, quote, if I am elected mayor, no statue will be torn down and no street will be renamed, quite the opposite. I pledge to increase the number of statues. Why does that matter? Why does it matter to increase the number of statues? No, um, the, the whole well, issue. Not, not, not arbitrarily. Well, it does matter deeply because the, the capital city is the heart of a nation and, and all out beyond the capital city. I mean, it's very different now in Western democracies, as you're finding in America. You know, the, the, the metropolitan areas start to become heavily over-liberal in one direction and they isolate the areas beyond. But I grew up and I spent time outside of London and these values that he's trying to undermine, and, you know, bearing in mind that this... Um, a commission for Diversity in the Public Realm, he hired an avowed anti-Semite onto this thing. I applied to be onto this commission because I thought, come on, you know, let's have at least one dis- dissenting voice. Um, it's you, you don't do it. History is not ours. We don't own it. This whole idea that we own history, we do not own history. We are responsible for history and we're the custodians of it for our children. So that I can take my child up to a slave trader's statue and I can go, this guy was a slave trader. Not we wiped the statue out because he was a slave trader. Two more quotations. Sadiq Khan replying to a question about non-hate crime incidents. This is a written on a website. This is confusing to me and to Americans. Non-crime hate incidents. Hate incidents. Try reading the guidance. It's insane. All right. Yeah. So here's Sadiq Khan. Hate crime incidents are recorded on police systems even when they don't meet the threshold to be categorized as criminal offenses. This helps to build an intelligence picture for police, close quote. A tweet by Lawrence Fox, quote, let's scrap the recording of non-crime hate incidents, police streets, not tweets, close quote. Explain this. 
We're not in Minority Report. This is pre-crime. The, the, this, the whole thing of the non-crime. I don't even understand. What is a... a it's a non-existent Orwellian. It's doublethink. It's, it's non-crime hate incidents. So, so the so the genesis of this was there was a horrific race-based murder of a guy called Stephen Lawrence in 1991 in the UK, and the police decided that if they had been able to record the people in their homes before it had took place, that they would have been able to prevent the crime. So this is where the genesis of it. But what happens is this guidance, non-crime hate instance, this is not gone, this has not gone through parliament. This has not been debated or discussed in parliament. It comes through something called uh it's the College of Policing, I think it's called, which mm -hmm. is a totally unelected body. And they come up with these incredible Orwellian madnesses of non-crime crimes. And um, the people are starting to push back against it now. So I'm saying, and when I'm saying please streets, not tweets, I would say what London would benefit from is instead of having someone sitting there going, are you thinking the wrong thoughts? Why don't you put your shoes on, chum, go out over there and make sure that people, the community, see you on the street so that you can police us consensually. That's the thing about the difference between American policing and, Brit and British policing is we do police by consent here. And what's happening is we're very much div dividing it. With all of this stuff, everything I've learned in the last 10 or 11 months of, of trying to get my head around the madness of politics is every time man tries to interfere with another man, the bogeyman is what comes out of it. It's, it's always the thing you don't think that will happen, happens. And this non-crime hate incident thing is insane. I mean, you read the guidance. I'm releasing a paper very so, soon. So, but very... the metropolitan, I just want to understand the, what is happening, yeah. what, what you're referring to. Metropolitan police who are under the direct authority of the mayor of London. That's, it's a complicated job, but that's one place where the mayor has direct authority. He runs the largest police operation in the nation, in the kingdom. And some piece of budget and some amount of manpower or person power, if that's the term we have to use, of the Metropolitan Police is being devoted to non-crime hate incidents, which means what? Somebody pops off on Twitter and that gets recorded yeah. by the Metropolitan yeah. Police? Yeah, and and then it goes, it then goes on your uh, on an in, what we call an enhanced DBS check here. So if you're trying to get a job in the UK, and an employer does an enhanced DBS check, so you've tweeted something like "women have breasts," for example, some horrendous piece of uh, piece of heresy like that, you you can end up on um on you can be reported. So a citizen can go onto a website called True Vision and they can report you for a non-crime hate incident. That then goes on your record. You never have any knowledge so, of this and you lose your job. You, or you won't won't get hired because you will you will fail a, a social security back check for you to try and get employed. It's so pernicious. Okay. This is I, I'm just maybe I'm dawning this is dawning on me the way it's dawning on some of the people you hope to become your constituents, but that is one tiny step away from the social credit system that the it Chinese are rolling out. System. It is social. It is, it is social the social credit, credit system. system, and that did not. This is not taking place. That is a fundamental change in the way in democracy in the relation between the metropolitan police and the people whom they police, and it just happened because Sadiq Khan approves of it, and the police have gotten woke. That did not move through Parliament.
not once so what but what's happening now in scotland is that they have debated the scottish hate crime bill which was also coming to the uk which will make it an offense to say anything offensive within your own home in front of your children so scotland has already passed this bill now which is horrendous i'm going to stand a candidate in scotland against their uh the guy that has been a major proponent of this a guy called hamza Youssef, in the coming election it is absolutely astonishing but what they do is that they push this through without sort of advertising it you know they sort mm. of go yeah it's really important no one likes hate right you know but no one ends up having the discussion which is really important which is like who gets to choose what hate is guys Right. Subjective legislation is the bad thing. One last time, two two quotations. Here's, um, I need to set this up again. I think this is the last longish setup I've got here in my notes, Lawrence, so bear with me. Early in March, a young woman named Sarah Everard disappears while walking in London. Her body has since been found. A group held a vigil in her honor at Clapham Common, a park near the place where Everard disappeared. The police warned against holding the vigil, citing COVID restrictions, and the vigil went ahead anyway, totally peacefully. Police broke it up. And this was captured on video and rolled out through Twitter. A tweet by Sadiq Khan, quote, the scenes from Clapham Common are unacceptable. The police have a responsibility to enforce COVID laws, but the response was neither appropriate nor proportionate. Close quote. The police report to him. A tweet by Lawrence Fox. Replying to Sadiq Khan, you've encouraged the politicization of policing. You've stoked fires of race. You take the knee to rioters who want to destroy our way of life, and you kneel on the backs of girls at a vigil to a murdered woman. Close quote. That is very hot language. First of all, what do you mean he takes a, a knee to rioters? So uh, in the summer, you know, the, the, the thing about restrictions is we've all got to obey them, don't we? You know, if, you, if there are COVID restrictions, then there have to be COVID restrictions. And in the summer, there was um, obviously a lot of, we have both Black Lives Matter protests and Extinction Rebellion protests in, in London, and none of them were policed in this way. So there's a two-tier policing system going on. Protesters didn't so, get dragged off. They didn't get handcuffed. No, Crowds were not no, dispersed. No, not at all. So, And he has oversighted this. And these women asked for permission to protest. They were at the Sarah Everard vigil. Yeah. And right. all it would have taken was to say, yeah, absolutely. Tensions are high. Emotion is high. Pro they're not even protesting. It's a vigil right? And you end up with a policeman with his knee on the back of a, well, at the end of the day, she's an activist. And these things always get hijacked by activists. But the two-tiered nature of this policing and the politicization of, poli of policing, I find so wrong because the whole idea, the, the, the agreement, the un well, the spoken and unspoken agreement between the citizen and the policeman is that you we consent for you to behave in this way. And what Sadiq Khan has said is he said, some things are cool, Black Lives Matter protests are cool, which we all of our media called largely peaceful. And you've got policewomen being thrown off horses and bikes being thrown in crowds. So right. we all know this isn't true. And Extinction Rebellion are blocking bridges dressed as wizards while people are trying to get ambulances over the bridge to hospitals. And actually, there were examples of people missing, of dying, trying to get over bridges. So the, the, the rage and the fury the righteous anger actually but in my in my mind very very upsetting is that you cannot ask the public to trust you 
of which you have oversight if you're going to police things politically. Right. It's not your right. job. Sadiq Khan is the mayor. You're running against him, obviously. There are a number of other candidates in the race. There's a Conservative Party candidate, a Green Party candidate, and on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, but you're running against Sadiq Khan and one other person who's a little bit surprising, Boris Johnson. Uh, I'd like to roll a piece of tape from a recent uh, video you've done. This is a message to Boris Johnson from the Reclaim Party. We urge you to lift lockdown in time for the Easter holidays permanently and finally so that families can get back together and people can get on with the important business of rebuilding their lives. You said that you would follow the data and not the dates, so here's some data for you. One person, albeit tragically, but one person died within 28 days of a positive COVID test in London yesterday. Cases and deaths are plummeting, thankfully. And yet here you are, plucking more than a billion pounds a day from some magic money tree, dissolving and diluting the value of our currency and placing a burden of debt on our children they may never be able to repay. It is our life, our freedom. We want to reclaim it. Lawrence, you're good at that. Thank you. But you have to tell me why you're, as you're running for mayor of London, why are you taking a pop at the prime minister? Well, I think he's told us relentlessly that he would follow the data and not the dates, right? So the data is one person died within 48 hours in London, within 28 days of positive COVID test. It's like, I am speaking, I was on a march on the weekend with um, everyone else who wanted to be unlocked. And I'm not being approached by middle-class people who sit on computers all afternoon. I'm being approached by working people saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because these are the, you know, without, I, I know it's a, sort of, it's a pretty uh, trite analogy, but these are the, these are the victims of the, of the COVID Holocaust. You know, these are the people that aren't getting saved it's it's really bad. They're, they're the ones that are left out to nothing. All right. Back to back to trying to sort out, back to trying to decide what to make of Lawrence Fox. You just raised this point about working people. London, especially central London, is dominated by people who still think of themselves. The term working class is still used proudly in London. Good members of the Labour Party. Now, here is Kevin Waitley, your co-star on Lewis, talking about you in a, in a friendly way, but he's talking about you. First, he notes that you attended Harrow, not Eton. And then, quote, you see, says Kevin Waitley, really posh people go to Eton. So Lawrence thinks he's working class, but he's a member of the Fox dynasty. He's very, very posh, close quote. Well, I have to break it to you. You are posh by the usual measures. Um, what connection can you hope to establish to Sadiq Khan's base, those people in central London who are working people, vote, have voted labor all their lives? How does Lawrence, how does the posh Mr. Fox make a connection? I think um, by thinking of them. But I also think Sadiq's base is much more. I don't think Sadiq's base is particularly working class in a lot of in, in a lot of ways. If you, if you look at the demographics of London, 
Uh, I think the Tories pick up votes uh, in the working class areas and they also need a voice. I do love Kevin though, because that's hilarious. Kevin and I used to talk all the time about whether who was, because he'd go on about being working class and then he'd send me for Christmas a case of 2010 Gigondas or something. And I'd be like, <laughs> who's the working class one here, Kev? You've got the nicest wine cellar on earth. So I don't really aid this. But you said something really arresting there. So Sadiq Khan's real base is the woke middle class. Woke middle class and um, the immigrant class, which is uh, which is great. But actually, I think that there's a, there's a... I'm fascinated to know why people... He's got a huge popularity rating. But if you look at the figures and the stats, you go, but knife crime is all-time high, murders are up, burglaries up, everything's up. Why is he so popular? I think it's this identitarian, you know, this sort of... I'm, I've got an answer for all diverse, inclusive, you know, it's just, it doesn't fit, but I think London buys it because London wants to be the sort of the, the applauder of, of these sorts of values. He'd said it, my dad, I spoke to my dad today and um, he said, Sadiq put a, uh, one of Sadiq's people put a leaflet through my door and it said, uh, I stand up for London's values. And he said, what are London's values, Loz? That's what he said to me. He said, what do you think that means? What do you think London's values are? And I said, I think it's a, it's a politically ideological uh, value system that isn't based around people. It's based mm. around words and meaningless phrases. Let me ask a new question. Uh, my, in my continuing effort to sort out Lawrence Fox, what to make of this actor, here's, <laughs> here's from, the, from your piece in The Telegraph announcing your candidacy. Again, a longish quotation, but this is for... a substantially American audience. So we have to, we have to explain you we have to work hard to explain you. I'm still trying to sort you out myself. Quoting you, Sadi Khan and his nation hating cronies have their jealous eyes out, jealous eyes on our statues and institutions. Where does his desire to strip us of our history end? Surely Queen Victoria should be torn down from her plinth in front of Buckingham Palace to be replaced with a monument to Greta Thunberg. Why are none of our politicians standing to defend us? I feel it's important to confess just how in love I am with these tiny island splotches we call home and how immovable I am in that love. Close quote. Amen. Well, now if I wanted to be a little unfair, but only a little, I'd say you sound almost like Nigel Farage, or you sound like former Tory Prime Minister John Major, who famously called Britain the, the country of long shadows on cricket grounds and warm beer. Um, you're young. You're an actor. You're cool. You ride motorbikes. You have tattoos. You roll your own little black cigarettes. And here you are championing Winston Churchill and Queen Victoria. How do those two Lawrence Foxes go together? I, I think that um, we, we touched briefly on art earlier. 
I'm an artist. I, I, I love art and I love the holding a mirror up to nature. And I love the idea that art is to push against um, cultural norms that we don't want to accept. And I find that art is no longer a place where one can do that. It's very difficult to actually, you know, with all these 25 million films you can watch on Netflix, you're like, oh, God, there's nothing I want to watch. So that to me, politics is the only place where ideas can be discussed openly really that's what i find i don't think i'm trying to sort of hark back to a bygone era of britain even though i think we should pay due deference to the sacrifices made by others because otherwise how can we be grateful to anybody but um no i think modern britain is shaped on those sacrifices it's on the on the churchills imagine churchill on twitter you imagine what would have happened if they're like uh shall we do the battle of britain twitter poll you know, we we'd all, we would all be speaking German. So I think it's worth turning around and, uh, and saying these people, and certainly Queen Victoria, um, you know, and the current Queen, who's now being pushed by um, by these sort of crazy nutjob ideologues, she's thinking of hiring an, uh, a diversity czar for the royal family. You know what I mean? So she's going to have a, a woke party commissar in the royal family saying, excuse me, ma'am. No, we don't say that anymore. I'm trying to say we do not need cultural commissars within our national institutions. The national institutions should reflect the nation. That's all I say. I think that could sound old-fashioned, but I think it's normal. A a few last questions, Lawrence. You're running for mayor of London, not New York, not San Francisco. But even at that, you follow American, the American scene very closely, as you've said. Anything you'd like to say to us, Yanks? I'm so looking forward to 2024. I, 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 I was watching Kamala Harris walk up the stairs to Air Force One and not turn around and not salute the people. And I was immediately dragged into a few good men. And these walls had to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You, you, Lieutenant Weinberg. And I just thought, you know, Aaron Sorkin got it. He got the conundrum between service and acceptance of service. And it was a conversation art. It explained you the conundrum of that. And I say, and I think in terms of America, I go, God bless America, because it's just the greatest idea in the world, you know, built on on freedom of speech and the and the, the ability to preserve that and 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 passive rights. And I think America will get its voice back, but I think it's tragic that um, you know, th- these very horrible phrases are bandied around by your politicians about 70 million people who voted for the other guy i I Mm. just think it's really sad so i look forward to 2024 markle versus trump (laughs) (laughs) that that is of all the things you said that that is the one that most causes my head to hurt um (laughs) you have two sons and four dogs and three. A career, and a, a three dogs and a career to return to maybe sometime at some point. We'll come to that in just a moment. But how's it going? Are you enjoying yourself? You've turned over, as I understand it, again, you've turned over most of your house to volunteers who are printing leaflets and editing videos and so forth. Are you enjoying this? Or do you secretly say to yourself when you flop into bed exhausted after the 27th Zoom call of the day, what a mis- how could I have done this? What, an, what a mistake I made. Not at all. I feel absolutely free for the first time ever. 
and I've, I, I know this because a friend of mine is in the process of being totally cancelled and excommunicated at the moment. And he's struggling so much with how shall he give back, shall he try and apologise? And, and he said to me, he said, how can this just be so natural to you? And I just said, because I'm free. And I'm free, actually, because I've been released from my shackles of having to fit into the establishment version of what art is or showbiz or anything that is. And my only requirement of myself is to go, this is the truth as I observe it. I stand by others' right to question my truth, my truth, <laughs> um, but to question, the, <laughs> to question my view. And I, I, I just think that's pure freedom, right? So if you can't, mm. in the same way as a motorbike is pure freedom, you're driving around a motorbike, you go, Oof. but here we're talking about the, pres the preservation of an idea and our, my love, you know, that freedom is never one generation from being extinct. It's not part, we don't not pass it on in the bloodstream. It's like, I go, this is my responsibility. So it doesn't really matter what I feel like when I go to bed at night. What I feel like when I go to bed at night is like, I need to watch at least half an hour of more modern family with the kids tomorrow night so that they know I still love them. <laughs> you know, that's but my vibe. Penultimate question. Last question in a moment. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to demonstrate how thoroughly you've become a politician by refusing to answer this question if you wish. <clears throat> but the question is, the polls would suggest there's just a chance that you won't win. Is there, have, would you care to entertain that possibility? Have you thought about what's next? May 6th. I know what's the next. I know what's happening on I know what's happening on May the eighth. I, I, I'm releasing my my 33 page uh, legal remedy to freedom of speech within the UK law two days after the election finishes, with a forward by the most preeminent liberal judge in Britain and everything else. I've, I've it's I've got it planned. I, you know, well, so, 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 win or lose, and the polls would suggest one is more likely than the other. You're going forward with the reclaim party. Oh, win yeah. or lose? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is the the, the London mayoralty. Is oh, say, honestly, I, 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 I truly, I, I sort of half thought you said that on, if if the polls are disappoint, if the if the votes are disappointing on May six, on May seventh, you're going to start reading scripts again. But you're not saying that at all. No, no, the vote. Look, we have to be honest with each other, and tears that it brings to my eyes to admit this, to take on wokery in the Cathedral of Wokery is possibly not going to be my first political victory. I've accepted that, but I've decided that I'll win anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, as long as I put a good showing in for those that care about freedom and liberty and the ability to express themselves, that's all I care about. That's my goal. Come the week after, I will release this paper, which will be the first piece of, first piece of legal remedy in 20 years in this country that says, here are the problems, here are our minor suggestions to amend and redirect law away from trying to interfere with the way people think and back in towards the way people do. But so, All right, I have to pursue that for just a moment because you're going yeah. to release proposed legislation. The yeah. foreword is going to be written by Lord Sumption, a former member of the Supreme Court who gets described, Google on him, and this keeps the phrase keeps popping up, the cleverest man in England. Brilliant yeah. man who has respect across, as best I can tell, sort of transcends parties and but legislation gets moved in parliament who's going to sponsor are you holding this up and waving it to the prime minister and saying this is what you ought to introduce or have you got a sympathetic mp who can introduce it how 
I, I just this this the usual problem with you, Lawrence, is brilliant idea, arrestingly articulated, but how does he actually how does he actually act on it? Yeah, I mean it's it's a good question, and it, it's one that we've been talking about. I think the way to do this is to I, I have some good connections with Tory Party uh, MPs. They they you know, sure they quite a few of them know who you are by now. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And um, my way would be to say, A, it's, you know, a lot of politics, a lot of life is about selling something, right? So I'm saying this is an appraisal of law, the law that's that has been introduced possibly actually since 1998. Some of it, some of it goes back to 1986, but is to go, here we are. Can I give this to you? Can I give it to you, uh, Mr. I'm not getting to express my views in Parliament because I've Prime Minister is too interested in dolphins and wind turbines. Can I, because it's not a political statement, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm commissioning with the great benefit that I have of being bequeathed or, or given some money to do this, impartial, solid advice on where the problems are existing within the law. And I think I'm going to print that out and I'm going to take a copy of John Stuart Mill and I'm going to put them together with a piece of ribbon and I put them in every sixth form college in the country. So, it, you know, this is not a, pro a project that's going to take two years. This is a project that will take 20. And as Jeremy Hosking did say to me, he said, you lose, you lose, you lose, you lose, you lose, you lose, you win. Lawrence, there's a passage that you're very fond of quoting comes from East Coker, one of the four quartets by T.S. Eliot. This is poetry that he worked on during the war. It talks about humility. The only wisdom we can hope to acquire is the wisdom of humility, but also about the newness of the present. The pattern is new in every moment. Why, why does that passage, humility before the history of Britain, uh, an awareness of the, of the new action, the new, new attitude, new step required in the present, why, why does that matter to you? Is it personal? Is it political? I think it's just life-based in the same way as that um, Psalm 139 really matters to me, you know. But I think it's his use of the word limited when he says there is, it seems to us at least, only a limited value in the knowledge derived from experience. Okay. And I, I think that's so wonderful because what he's trying to do is, you know, he is trying to bridge the gap between history and the present, and he's trying to say he wants to permit people to make to make their own path through life. And at the same time, understanding that there is a path that they've come from. You know, he's very obsessed with time, Elliot, isn't he, as a, as a writer. And he, and he probably did more to, to break down time for a, for a sort of thicko like me than most people could have done through poetry. Lawrence, would you, would you end this conversation by reading that passage from East Coker? Sure. There is, it seems to us, at best, only a limited value in the knowledge derived from experience. The knowledge imposes a pattern and falsifies, for the pattern is new in every moment, and every moment is a new and shocking valuation of all that we have been. Do not let me hear of the wisdom of old men, but rather of their folly, their fear of fear and frenzy, their fear of possession of belonging to another or to others or to God. The only wisdom we can hope to acquire is the wisdom of humility. Humility is endless. Oh, God, isn't he? Lawrence Fox.
actor, candidate for mayor of London, and surely the only political figure on the planet who quotes T.S. Eliot. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you, Peter. For Uncommon Knowledge, the Hoover Institution, and Fox Nation, I'm Peter Robinson.